Uh, I'm going to preach a message today, and it's not directed at mothers. It'll be helpful to mothers, too, but it's not directed purely at mothers. And the reason I say that to you is because on a day like today, uh, maybe two-thirds of the congregation can go asleep and say, okay, this is a Mother's Day sermon. It's just for the mothers. This is helpful to mothers, but it's helpful to all of us. The, uh, the thought is this. Cheer up, right? Proverbs 17, verse 22 says that <clears throat> a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Now, the <clears throat> Bible's always true. The Bible is always true. Whenever the Bible says something to us, it's true. Uh, I was talking to the doctor, having some blood done the other day. It was just a screening. And having some bloods done, taken. And the, <clears throat> the doctor, there was a whole list of, of, of things they were uh, screening me for. And as, I, as I'm looking at the doctor, I mean, she, she's telling me, yeah, the blood tells almost everything. The, the, the test they were going to do will tell almost everything uh, that's going on inside me or will indicate uh, if there's anything else they need to look for. And I was able to say to her, you know, the Bible says that the life of the body is in the blood. You know, it's amazing medicine is beginning to catch up on the truth of the Bible. It hasn't fully caught up yet, it's beginning to catch up. There was a time when they would put a leech on you and suck your blood out of you to make you better. Now they were sucking the life out of you to make you better. It's no wonder that a lot of people died uh, from the ignorance of it. <clears throat> but the Bible is true. Now, when the Bible says to you that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, um, <clears throat> we take it seriously. It's true. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Let me read you a story. Uh, <clears throat> this is not a Bible story. This is a story from uh, <clears throat> a secular story, right? <clears throat> The most famous example uh, of this was the recovery of Norman Cousins from what had been diagnosed as an incurable disease. He was bedridden, and the doctors gave him no hope for recovery at all, so he decided on his own treatment. His family got a movie projector and rented all the Charlie Chaplin and Abbott and Costello movies that they could find, movies where you just sit back and laugh because they're genuinely funny. He ran one movie after the other, and the more he watched, the more he laughed, and the more he laughed, the better he felt. First thing you know, the doctors could find no evidence of the incurable disease. Uh, then after that, in 1990, Paul Harvey, uh, in one of his Rest of the Story articles, stated that for the last 10 years, Norman Cousins had been on the staff of UCLA School of Medicine, pioneering a new medicine dis discipline called psychoneuroimmunology. And the article stated, carefully controlled experiments conducted by Cousins and his associates demonstrate that you just, that you just by controlling your mind uh, can alter your temperature, your blood pressure, and your blood chemistry in a matter of minutes. It went on to say there's now evidence that cancer patients liberated from depression can actually activate the anti-cancer capability of the immune system. The human body commends contends cousins, is far more robust than people have been led to believe. A strong will to live, along with that other positive emotions of faith, love, purpose, determination, and humor boosts disease-fighting immune cells. So <clears throat> the Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. This man is sick, and um, he's learned some things from science, and so what he does, he says about having a merry heart, and he finds that it has an, an incredible impact upon his body. Now, the same is true for you and I. Let me read you the verse in, in, in um, Proverbs chapter 17, uh, the, the rest of the verse. Proverbs chapter 17. <coughs> Proverbs 17 and verse 22. Uh, 
A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A broken spirit drieth the bones. Now, <clears throat> if I were to go around the room and ask you today, who, which of you think you have a broken spirit? You might not say it was a broken spirit, but you might say you're low, you're down. Uh, you don't feel very hopeful. You don't feel very happy, maybe. And you're looking at life, and it looks kind of tough. Now, it is dangerous for you to stay in that place. It is dangerous for you to stay in that place <clears throat> because a broken spirit dryeth the bones. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It's helpful to you health-wise. So what you've got to do is you've got to cheer up. It's not just, <clears throat> you know, a blasé thing. You know, cheer up. Uh, the reality is that in order for you to live a healthy life, you've got to cheer up. You've got to come to the place where you're looking at life from <clears throat> a better perspective. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't happen by accident. I wish I could read Bible verses and just automatically those Bible verses became true in my life. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? I have to actually take the Bible, focus on the Word of God, and then focus on my own life and what needs to change in it and change it. And what we're talking about changing here is our way of thinking, our way of looking at things, that we've got to actually take and look at things. <clears throat> we've all known people who are bitter and it drastically affected their health, haven't we? We've known people who, who, who be... Now, how do you get better? Well, you begin to focus on the wrongs that have been done to you. And you don't let them go the way the Bible says. And so bitterness gets a grip of you. And it can actually destroy you. It can put you in a mental hospital. It can put you in a grave. <clears throat> and if we don't control our thinking, it's very easy for us to take years off our lives. Literally years off our lives. You're supposed to keep a cheerful disposition. Now, of all the people in the world, the people in this room have reason to be cheerful. We have reason to be happy. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons. And the three reasons I'm going to give you are not going to come naturally to you. They may be real and they may be true and you may think them to be so, but actually applying them in your life won't come naturally. You're going to have to exert effort to apply them, to bring them about in your life and to put them in your life. <clears throat> the first thing I want to say to you is this. You're going to heaven. Cheer up, you're going to heaven. I can remember the morning after I got saved. I can remember it very vividly. I remember waking up, lying in my bed, and the first thought that came to my mind was, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And it seemed like everything in life had been changed during the night. I... I, I I'd never fully, until the night before, uh, faced up to the fact that I was going to hell, but I'd never been sure before. I'd never known for certain that if I were to close my eyes, I was going to heaven. And it seemed to me that, you know what? This is the most important thing in the world. It doesn't matter if I die today, I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what happens in life. If I make money or I'm poor, it doesn't matter because I'm going to heaven. And it seemed like everything in my life was drowned out by the reality of the fact that I'm going to heaven. Now... <clears throat> I think probably each one that's saved this morning, you're kind of familiar with that thought. You've kind of caught that thought. But <clears throat> you know what happens? We lose it rapidly, don't we? After a while, that's not the most important thing in life. That's kind of one of the things that's kind of knocked down, that's sorted out. Like we, we go through life and we have problems and we sort out the problems and we move on. And rapidly, it's not a big deal anymore. Rapidly, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> you know it, within a few weeks of salvation, yeah, we're saved, but that, and there's this problem and that problem. But there's no problem as big as the problem I had before I was saved. No problem I have now and no problem that I'm ever going to have. 
That's as big as the problem that I have now. Now, let, let, me, let me read you from Luke chapter 16. I'm just going to, uh, you needn't turn there. Let me just uh, <clears throat> read you some of the verses here. Luke 16 is the, is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, <clears throat> Lazarus was the poor man and he died and the, the rich man died. And it says in verse 23 of Luke chapter 16, and in hell he lift up his eyes. Do you know that the people in hell are awake, alive, alert, and aware? They're aware of what's going on. You know, it's very nice for us to put the idea of, uh, of dying off on the outside wing so that I'm going to die. And wherever I go, I won't know. It doesn't matter. No, it's not true. The people in hell, Jesus said, are alive, alert, and awake. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Now, <clears throat> we can go into the description of hell with the fire and all the rest of it, and we can, we can press that to the last. But honestly, my mind trips out. I can't imagine. I can't imagine those things. I just can't go there. I know it's awful. I know it's terrible. I know it's dreadful. I, <clears throat> he, was, he was in torments. I, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and then the next verse says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He was thirsty. Now, I know what it is to be thirsty, but this is Ireland. There's water everywhere. I've never known what it is to be thirsty for very long. Um, Can you imagine? This this was written 2,000 years ago. So by that time, we don't know how many years, but we know certainly that for the last 2,000 years, this man has been thirsty. Can you imagine having a need, having a desire that never gets fixed? And you can say, oh, Pastor, you don't know. I've got, the, I've got this problem in my life. I've got this pain in my life, and it's never going to get fixed. I'm going to carry it all the days of my life. Yeah, you are, but there's going to come a day when it's going to be over. Can you imagine having a, a need that never gets fixed? You just live with it. It never gets fixed. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, uh, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There's no way out. There's no way out, and there never will be a way out of this. Uh, Then in verse 27, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. He's worried about his brethren. Now, we know what it's like to be concerned about something, but you know, I can lie in bed awake concerned about something, but you know what? I can get up the next day and I can do something about it. Typically, I can sort something. You know, usually, I'm not totally powerless in the situation. Usually, I can do something. At least I can pray and ask God to do something and expect that something's going to happen about the situation. But here's a man. <clears throat> He's alive, alert, and awake. He's tormented. He is thirsty. He is told there is no way out, and there's no comfort for his worry. That's what I deserve. I deserve to die, go off the face of this planet, planet, and spend eternity in that place. I've done more than enough to earn hell several times over. But I'm never going to see it. No matter what happens, I am never going to see hell. It's never going to happen. 
And the reason I'm never going to see it is because Jesus paid the price for my sin and I received that salvation and it's a done deal. It's sorted. It's finished. It's done. That is happy ground. That is rejoicing ground. Uh, look at your screen there. Uh, in John 14, verse 1, it said, Jesus said to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now here's the deal. I deserve hell. I should be going through my life, stepping off the end of the world, and spending an eternity separated from God, and the torment we're talking about here uh, for the rich men. But I'm not. And you know what? Instead of that, Jesus is going to come back and take me to be with him. He's prepared a place for me. He's prepared some for, somewhere for me to be with him when I go. I'm going to a place where there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness, there's no tears. I'm going to a place where it's wonderful. Even though I deserve hell. Now, what a shame. The fact that I can live my life and say, yeah, well, I know I'm saved, but I need to remember every day of my life, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with him forever. And let me say this to you this morning, if you're not saved, you can be. Jesus, at this moment, has his arms wide open saying, come unto me. He wants you to come to him and be saved. He wants you to be saved. But listen, if you're saved, you have the bedrock ground for a happy disposition. Just don't let it slip into the background in your life. It's real. It's the most important thing. I know you've got problems. I know you've got things that occupy your mind. I know you've got issues going on in your life. And everything is not just perfect, not just hunky-dory the way you'd like it to be. But you know what? You're going to heaven when it's all over. You are safe. You are, it is settled. You should be happy about that. You're going to heaven. But you've got to keep it in your mind. It's not something that's going to stay there. You know, today you may get it. You may think, yeah, praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven. But you know what? You'll have to remind yourself tomorrow. You'll have to be thankful for it tomorrow. You forget it. And you will let some tiny problem in your life seem bigger than the reality that your biggest problem ever has been fixed. So the first thing, you, if you're going to cheer up, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to remember you're going to heaven. Secondly, <coughs> you've got to get this in your mind. You have a great purpose in front of you. Um, in Matthew 28, Jesus was going back to heaven and he gave the disciples the Great Commission. And the Great Commission was not just something for the disciples, it was something for all of us. Now, we all want purpose. Right? <coughs> you know, how, how often do we say things like, what's it all about? What's the point in life? Isn't that one of those thoughts that just wears us down? It's going nowhere. There's nothing happening. I have no purpose. God has given us a purpose. Now, this purpose that God has given us comes above all the other purposes in our lives. It, it, it comes above everything else that we have to do. This purpose. But we can neglect the Great Commission. And then we feel purposeless. Because that's our purpose. And we can all do it. We can all do it. We can, we can neglect the Great Commission. You know, we have all kinds of reasons. It's too hard. You know, people don't want to listen. We've got all kinds of reasons for neglecting the Great Commission. And we're missing out on the purpose that God has given us. Let me read it through for you. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, 
All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. <clears throat> Jesus is with us in the Great Commission. And in all honesty, I know it and you know it. The times when I'm involved in the Great Commission, I know his presence. I know his purpose. I know his hand on my life. But he wants us all involved in the Great Commission. L let me ask you, when was the last time you saw someone come to Christ, <clears throat> uh, someone get saved, someone come to the place where they sweetly trusted in Christ, and you began discipling them? When was the last time you saw that in your life? And you say, well, pastor, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary person. You're no ordinary person. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, there's nothing ordinary about you. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, there's a power in there to fulfill the purpose that He's given you. The problem for us is very often there's not the focus in our lives. Very often, the most important things in our lives get relegated. They get, they get put to one side. They, they're not the we're doing all these things, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and we're doing the other, and we miss it. But that's our prime task. That's our job. That's our focus. Let me read you a story here. <clears throat> Uh, it's kind of a legend uh, <clears throat> about Jesus that uh, uh, says this. When he arrived, the angel Gabriel came up and asked, when the Lord went back to heaven, and he arrived, the angel Gabriel came up and asked, Lord, how did it go? Jesus answered, it went well. I accomplished what I went to accomplish. I went to the cross, and I died for their sins. And Gabriel asked, but do the people appreciate what you did? Do they even know? And Jesus answered, well, some of them do. Peter, James, John, and a few others. Then Gabriel said, but how about the rest of the world? Jesus said, they will know too. Here's my plan. I plan for Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and the rest to tell some others. When those people hear him, he hear about it, they will tell it, each tell somebody else, and in turn, they, those people, when those people hear about it, they will tell somebody else, uh, and then somebody else until the whole world knows. Then Gabriel, knowing the weakness of humankind, said, but what if they fail? What if Peter and James and John and Andrew don't tell anybody? What if those people don't tell somebody else? What if they forget the message? What if they become indifferent and complacent? What other plan do you have? Jesus looked at Gabriel and said, I have no other plan. We're the plan. We're the arms of Jesus reaching out to the world. You. You've been specially chosen to be involved in the greatest work that the world has ever known or ever will know. How come we get so preoccupied with so many things that are of lesser importance? How come our time gets eaten up and our lives get eaten up with things that are of lesser importance? Oh, there's deception involved. The enemy comes and says, you can't. You'd never be able to do it. Listen, if you're saved this morning, you have a story to tell. And if you only tell that story, you know what? The gospel's going to go out through that story. You just tell your story. And you know, the easiest way of communicating any message is telling your story. It's the, the least offensive. You're not even putting it on them. You're, you're telling your story. And the Holy Spirit can take and work through your story. But listen, as we go about our lives, we're supposed to be telling somebody. It's not a case of us knocking on doors on a Tuesday night. Oh, listen, that's good, but that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a life whereby we speak to other people about Jesus. 
where we, we come to the place where we find opportunities and we speak. That's our purpose. That's our plan. If you don't have that purpose in your life, you know what's going to happen? What's going to happen is you're going to feel like life's a bit purposeless because no other purpose is going to replace it. No business, no work you can do, no ministry you can do. Nothing is going to replace the fact that I'm supposed to be telling other people about Jesus. And I think right now we're low in that. But it doesn't have to be that way. Let me ask you this. I was reading Luke chapter 5 <clears throat> the other day, and um, the disciples had been fishing all night. And uh, <clears throat> they were empty, and Jesus came and he spoke. And then he said to Peter, let down your, your nets for a draft. And Peter said, oh Lord, we've, we've been fishing all night. And um, <clears throat> we caught nothing. Nevertheless, if you're saying it, we'll do it. And they, they let down the net and they pulled in a draft. And you know what I put on my prayer list? I said, Lord, give us a great draft. Give us a huge catch, Lord. Give us a big harvest, Lord. And you know, do you think God could use you to bring in a big harvest or to bring in part of a big harvest? Do you think, listen, I know you feel, listen, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I don't have a theological training. Do you think God could use a simple believer empowered by the Spirit of God to reach a soul? There's not one of you in this room that's saved that God couldn't use. You say, but I'm nervous. Listen, you step out and you're nervous. And what you're going to find is that Jesus stands with you and you're nervous and you're going to, you're going to find you're not nervous. You're going to find you're blessed because he's with you. But what you've got to do is you've got to come to the place where, listen, <laughs> do this. Write, write out your story, how you got saved. Talk about what you were before you were saved. Talk about how Jesus saved you. I, you know, somebody explained to me the gospel and I realized that Jesus had died for my sins. Use a verse that maybe the Lord used. And then talk about God has, how God has changed your life since you got saved. There you got the gospel. Anybody can do it. You know, anybody can. You can take tracks in the hall and you can pass our tracks. You know, we passed our tracks yesterday uh, in Grafton Street. It was amazing. People took them. And, and here's, here's, here's what I saw. I saw a lot of people burdened. A lot of people that were unhappy. A lot of people that were needy. And I'm putting a leaflet in, the, in their hands that has the truth, has the answer for them. Now, I don't know how many read, read it, but I'll, I'll bet you some. Hannah was telling me she watched one young girl uh, stand outside uh, the green and read through the whole thing from cover to cover. You know, sometimes you think, oh, who, who's going to read a leaflet? You know what? A hungry soul that's crying out to God will read whatever the Spirit of God points out to them to read. Don't look at these things and say, no, they don't work. Hey, it doesn't all have to work. You, you pass out a leaflet. Give somebody your testimony. Invite somebody to church. But listen, get the word out there. That's your purpose. That's not something you have to do. Oh, man, I've got to do this thing as well. That's, that's your purpose. That's what you're here for. Do you really think God left you on this planet after he saved you just so you could make a living and make ends meet? Don't you think he left you here for a greater purpose? Don't you want a greater purpose? Don't we long for purpose in our lives? Here's your purpose. Don't miss it. That's your purpose. You have a great purpose. And then number three, you have a great God taking care of you. Now, this point of the message excites me, right? Um, <clears throat> You have a great God taking care of you. Mark 6, verse 50. <clears throat> uh, For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, 
Be not afraid. Now, what's happening here is they're, 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 they're rowing. He sent them out ahead of them, and, and they're rowing to the other side. But the, everything's against them. They're caught in a storm, and they're getting nowhere. They're, they're, they're just stuck. <laughs> and so Jesus, as Jesus does, goes walking along the water, and he goes to pass them by. And they cry out because they think it's a spirit. They think it's a ghost. I mean, <clears throat> scary deal. You know, nighttime, it's dark, it's miserable, they're, 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 they're fearful. And um, <clears throat> so they cry out. And when he saw them, he said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now, I checked it out. You know what? When he told them that, he hadn't come to see yet. He hadn't sorted out their problem yet. Do you know what they needed in the trouble of their lives? They needed him. They didn't need their problem fixed. They needed him. And he always comes to us in the problems. If, if, if we're crying out and looking to him, he always comes to us in the problems. He, he meets us in the problems. Let me give you some other verses. Matthew 9, 2. And behold, they brought, up, brought to him a man sick of the palsy and lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Be of good cheer. Do you know how often Jesus said things like, be of good cheer, uh, fear not? <clears throat> they say <coughs> over 360 times. I haven't counted them all, right? <clears throat> but over 360 times. He was constantly telling us, listen, don't be afraid. And here's what he's saying. I'm here. What have you got to be afraid of? I'm here. Now, if you're a child of God this morning, you have the wonderful joy of him. He is here. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Listen, you have the greatest power that's ever lived. Looking after you. Taking care of you. Watching over you. You can cheer up. <clears throat> Let me give you another verse here. John 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in ye... In me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How many of you have tribulation in your life? Everybody. Everybody's got something going on that's difficult. Everybody's got somewhere where the world's opposing them. You know, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But he says, cheer up. I have overcome the world. And I am with you. You know, here's, here's what happens to us. We focus on our problems... And not on the Savior. We focus on what's bothering us. And not on the one that we have. And listen, he's in every situation in your life. There's never coming a day uh, <clears throat> when you're not going to have him uh, in your life. We'll look at that in a second. Has he said that to you lately? Has he said, it, said to you, cheer up? I'll tell you where he's going to do. He's going to come to you in a problem. When you're crying out to him, Lord, I can't cope with this. I can't deal with this. He's going to come to you in the problem and he's going to tell you, cheer up. It's okay. I'm here. Uh, when we were away in the States, um, <clears throat> th th there were financial troubles. There, there were some bills that needed to be paid here. Um, personal finances were just tight. Things were just tight. Things were really, uh, you know, and I, and I was concerned about them. And I was wrestling with God. I won't say I was worrying because I'm a Christian and I don't worry, okay? I was wrestling with God, ab uh, God about them. And in the night he came and he said, it's okay. I've got it. And he did. And he worked all of it out. But you know what? He came and he said he had it. He was going to deal with it. And after that he dealt with it. You see, 
I thought I needed the problem solved, but I didn't. I just needed him. And once I had him, I had peace in the situation. You see, that's what you've got as a believer. You've got the Son of God in your life telling you to cheer up. I'm here. I'm involved. It's okay. Look at Genesis 15. One. <clears throat> after, after Abraham had split up with Lot, you know, <clears throat> and I'm sure that was a pretty hard thing uh, for Abraham to deal with. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, I want you to know what, what, what God didn't say to Abraham. He didn't say to Abraham, <clears throat> Abraham, don't worry about it. Um, you have an army that'll protect you. He didn't say to Abraham, I'm, I'm going to reward you. He said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. You know what he's saying to Abraham? Abraham, if all you ever have is me, you have more than enough. And you know what? God did protect Abraham. And Abraham did have an exceeding great reward in his life. But what Abraham needed to know was, he's here. He's with me. I'm fine. He's my shield and my exceeding great reward. <clears throat> I love Isaiah 43. Let me just read you the passage, uh, 1 through 4. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Now, I, I want him to say to me, Dave, you're never ever going to have to go through the waters, and uh, you'll, you, you'll never have to go through rivers, and, and you never have to go, and go through hard times in the fire, Dave. But he doesn't. He says, uh, what I don't want him to say in a sense, uh, he says, <clears throat> when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the fires... Uh, and through the uh, rivers, they won't overflow you, and through the fire, and you're not going to be burned. What's he saying to me? He's saying, Dave, I will be with you. Whatever you have to face, I will be with you. I will be there with you. Now, I can't predict the future in my life. You can't predict the future in your life. But there's one thing I can predict. Based on the Word of God, He will be with me. Whatever I have to face, He will be with me. He's always going to be there with me. He's always going to look after me. I'm his child. <clears throat> Let me read the, finish those verses. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Now you say, well, that's relating to Israel. Well, you know what? He gave his son for me. That's more important than all the other stuff that he said about Israel. You know, and if he gave his son, and, and if Israel, he calls his children, what, what does he call us? Listen, he promises to be with you whatever you have to go through. You don't have to be worried about it. You don't have to despair. You need to cheer up. He's going to be with me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to look after me in this thing. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> look at Luke 12, 7. Uh, <clears throat> But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. And he says in the, in the verse before that he says, you know, <clears throat> um, that <coughs> not a sparrow falls from the air without your father allowing it. Nothing's going to happen in your life that your father doesn't allow. 
you're of great value to him. You know, we look at ourselves and we say, but, but how? What of me could be of great value to him? Well, there's nothing intrinsic because of you. It's all because he put his son in you. And he's chosen you. And he's made you his. And because of that, you're of great value. You say, but the world doesn't value me, me much. Well, you know what? The world doesn't know. The world doesn't understand. But he does. You are of great value to him. Your life is of great value to him. And he's going to take care of it. You're going to be okay. It's not going to all fall apart. It's not going to all unravel the way you think it might at all. He's going to take great care of you. Because you're of much value to him. And look at Luke, 20, Luke 12, 32. <clears throat> I love this verse. Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, listen, <clears throat> I have this picture uh, in my mind of my heavenly father just absolutely delighted in giving to me. Give me the kingdom, give me everything. Listen, whatever is good. He's going to give and he's going to do it. That, that's who he is. That's the kind of a father he is. You know, sometimes don't we get to the place where we think, okay, well, I've got to pray and pray and pray and I've got to wring it from the hand of God. You know, I've got to somehow bamboozle God uh, <clears throat> into giving it to me. No, you don't. You'll never have to strain the hand of God. God delights in giving you. It's his good pleasure. He loves it. He enjoys it. He enjoys blessing you. He enjoys pouring out blessings. There's, there's, there's no such thing as you having to wring it from his hand. Don't let the enemy lie to you on that one. <coughs> You're substandard. And you need to somehow wring it from God's hand. You don't. Um, God delights in you. And he delights in giving to you and in taking care of you. You know, it's, his, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then one final verse. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a promise. That means if you live to be 105, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. You say, what about if I do wrong? It's a promise he makes. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will be with you all the days of your life. And all the days after that too. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now you know what? You could bank on that. You've got him. Now, this one just caught me recently. I've known this verse for a long time. But he says, don't be covetous. You have me. I think we often live our lives thinking, okay, so I have him, that means he's the means to getting the things I want. And that's not the truth. He is what you need. He is what makes it work. He is the answer to covetousness. Well, I have him. I don't need that because I have him. And when you're in that place with him where <clears throat> he becomes it to you, he can give you anything. Because things don't mean much to God. Things are just st stuff that he uses in our lives to draw us close to him. Things are not that important to God. 
He's going to use this. He's much more interested in you than, than he is in giving you things. He loves you. He wants the best for you. So he's working out this wonderful plan for your life. Um, and he's saying, well, no, I'm not going to give you that because that's not going to help with this great plan I have for your life. And you're saying, oh, that's because he doesn't love me. No, that's not true. He loves you, and he wants the best for you, and he'll do the best in your life. And what we need to understand is we have him. That's all we need. If I never have anything else, and I have him, I have more than enough. And the same is true for you. Now, you know what? <clears throat> I could kind of get happy about those things if I let myself. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I don't want to go yet. He's got work for me to do, and I want to live life to the full for him. But you know what? I'm, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Uh, if the worst comes to the worst and the bomb dropped today, I'm, I'm not worried because I'm going to be with him. <clears throat> and then he's given me a great task in my life. He's told me, listen, go make disciples for me, Dave. Go and reach out to other people. And you know what? When I'm on purpose there, life's on purpose. And the same is true for you too. That, that's our purpose. And then he says to me, listen, Dave, I will take care of you. It's going to be fine. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to go with you through all this. You know what? I can afford to cheer up. Now, now maybe you need to say to yourself this morning, well, you know what? I haven't really been grateful for my salvation. That's kind of Old, tense, Old Testament pastime in my life. And I need to get grateful for my salvation. And maybe you need to say, well, you know what? I need to tell others about this great gift I've been given. How can we hold it back? When, when we're aware of the blessing of salvation in our own lives, how can we hold it back? Because what happened to you when you got saved? You got saved and you started blurting it out to everybody? You didn't know what you were talking about, but you knew you were saved and you were going to heaven and you couldn't wait to tell people. You know, when, when we're grateful for our salvation, the reality is we want to tell people about it. And then you can rest in the reality of, He has my back. He's taking care of me. I'm okay. And those tr three truths can put a smile on your face, can give you a merry heart, can extend your life, can, can make your life count. You see, all too soon, it's over for all of us. All too soon, it's gone. And I don't think we're going to go to heaven, you know, <clears throat> all kinds of tears of regret and so on. But you know what? I want to use it well. I, I, I want it to count. I want to live as happy as you can possibly live, and I want to live as long and as happy as you can possibly live. <clears throat> but you know what? We've got to be clever about it. We're the children of the living God. <clears throat> We're the light of the world. Remember the joy of the fact that you're saved. Remember, he's given you a purpose, and be about that purpose. And remember, he's got your back. He's taking care of you. And you know what? Your spirits can soar no matter what's going on in your life. Let's stand for prayer. <clears throat> Let me say one other thing to you just as we close. If you're not saved this morning, all of this has been bought and paid for for you. Don't miss it. Don't leave church today. Don't leave life without coming to the place where you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. It's as simple as you come into the place where you surrender before. You're a sinner, and in your heart you know what we all are. But a Savior paid the price for your sin. And if you'll call on his name, if you'll, ask, if you'll trust him, you know what? He'll save you. He'll do it. 
It's not you. You can't do it, but he will do it. So, so, so don't let life go through your fingers. Let the, the sands of time go through your fingers. Listen, make sure that you come to him and you trust him for your salvation and do it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing we have as your children. Now, bless the spirit of the living God. Would you take and work in our hearts and lives, Lord? Would you help us to walk with you and to live in the reality of our salvation and to live with the purpose that you've given us and, oh, Lord, to live in the joy of your protective care and your hand upon us all the time. Now, Lord, bless us. May it be real to us. And, Lord, may we speak of you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.